1975 that he, uh, Dave Godori and Margaret, his wife, led the charge with 62 people to plant what was then Cranston Christian Fellowship, what is now Hope Church. It's our founding pastor, and we are so grateful that he has come back uh, today to share with us in this teaching of what would Jesus actually do. So, Pastor Dave, thank you. Will you come? to repeat. We're glad to be back with you. Seeing so many new faces, and I'm sure we won't be able to say hello to everybody that we know and love. And uh, most of you, we apologize. We won't remember your names either because we're not what we used to be. But uh, we're, we're working on it. Actually, I come with apologies today because it was just about 16 months ago that we made our way out of Rhode Island for the first time in decades. Uh, to our new home in North Carolina. And you guys, even though we'd uh, left off being your pastor back in 2017, we've been serving God here in our state, but still a part of your church. And uh, you had planned a, a wonderful dessert send-off social for us and, and so forth, but we stood you up. And mostly because a few days before that, I got diagnosed with COVID-19. I wasn't particularly sick, but I had it. I, so anyway, we weren't able to come. Uh, it didn't work out. But I can assure you, we've enjoyed, uh, just to kind of make up for it, many desserts since. So <laughs> taking care of that. So uh, anyway, it's great to be back with you and so honored to be able to pick right up where we've left off in this series through the Gospel of John. We've been following along with the things you've been studying together. And uh, it's what would Jesus actually do? And approaching that question specifically uh, as to uh, what the Gospel of John in the Bible might, might say about that. But you know, when, when a series title like that hits me, it's like, you know, there's some questions that kind of run into my mind. You're like, okay, what would Jesus actually do about what? I mean, there's like, how am I supposed to relate to this? Like, what would Jesus actually do with his 401k? Or what would Jesus actually do with his clothing choices? What style would he have? Or what college would he go to? I don't know. How are we supposed to work with that? There are some more obvious things probably that, that come to mind. But, uh, you know, they, they have to do with, you know, is it, is, it a, is it about facing accusations, for example? Jesus did a lot of that. So do we. So what would Jesus actually do if that came up? Or is it about basic things like making decisions, how to make decisions in life? And Jesus made a lot of decisions. And we could learn a lot from just examining his example in the Bible about how to do that. Or, you know, maybe it's about facing practical needs that you encounter with other people. I mean, all around us, there's people that are struggling with one thing or another. And, and Jesus met people like that. What would he do? Could we possibly follow his example? Those Maybe those are the sorts of things. Or what would Jesus actually do about, say, paying your taxes? You know, there's, an, there's one that's specifically talked about in the Bible. And sometimes we wonder, does, does the Bible really have anything to say about how we're supposed to relate to government and what's going on with politics and all that stuff? Well, what, what would Jesus actually do? So there's some good things there. But, you know, today we're really asking the question, I think, around a specific case. What would Jesus do 
if he were confronted or met up with a person who had very thoughtful doubts about him, about God, about his standing with God. And, and I think that's where, where we're at today. And we'll, we'll kind of dig into that. So that's a basic question. What would Jesus do about whatever it is we're thinking of? The other question, I think, is always there for every sermon, for every congregation of people coming together to listen to a preacher, and that is, who cares? You know, does it really matter what Jesus would do? That's so long ago. Well, I think it, it does matter, and here's some people who care. They fall into two groups, and you're probably in one of these two groups this morning. The first group are the followers of Jesus. Rick referred to people as Christ followers. What is a follower of Jesus? Well, it's someone who's trying to walk in his steps to be like Jesus. I love this picture of a dad and his son. That's, that's a perfect example of what it should look like for the Christian. We admire Jesus. We love Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. And maybe this is one element of what Jesus had in mind when he said, become like children. Children want to find a hero and follow the example of that hero. And that's what it means to be a Christ follower. So for those people, it really matters what Jesus did, actually, and trying to put that through in their life. So that's the first group, the people who are the followers of Jesus. And I hope that you're one of those today. But there's another group of people, and you may be among us as well, and those are the ones who are wondering, you know, what would Jesus do with a person like me? Because I don't really believe all that stuff. I'm not sure. Is it all true? Where do I stand with this? What would Jesus do when he was confronted with a doubter? A person who had real questions about God, about him, about spiritual things. And, you know, this is something that's likely to happen to us often. We're going to bump into people like that. Have you seen those commercials, uh, Jesus Gets Me? They're on TV. There's a whole organization that's been working on these, and they've done a ton of research kind of leading up to what, are, what do people think about Jesus and how can we help people engage with the real Jesus? And these Jesus Gets Me people have done some recent studies, and they found that roughly... One-fourth, 24% of the American population have severe skepticism about Christianity. You know, could, could we even believe this? And so there, there are folks who have doubts about God, about Jesus, about life after death, about the Bible, whether it's true, about Christianity, hypocrisy, the church, all of its problems. All these things are running through their mind and... And if you're one of those doubting folks, maybe you don't want to talk about it in church, you're not sure people would like you if you said what you really thought. Nevertheless, it matters what Jesus would actually do. So as we face those two things, uh, we, we come to our, our story in the Bible today. Our text is the Gospel of John, chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, why don't you turn it to it and open it up or turn it on, however that works for you. Because uh, we're going to look at some of the verses in the third chapter of John, and actually, uh, eventually going back a little bit into chapter 2. So here in John chapter 3 is one of the most interesting conversations that's recorded in the Bible. And as you're going to see, there's a couple of aspects about it that are like everybody knows about those things. Even if they don't know, they, they came from chapter 3 of John. 
But it's about a man named Nicodemus. And we read about him in the opening verses of chapter 3. It says, now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. By the way, I'm using the English Standard Version. I know we have different translations. But uh, just so you'll understand that wording might be slightly different. I think they're all pretty similar in this section. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now it goes on all the way past verse 20 or so uh, in the Gospel of John recording this, this conversation. And what happens is this religious ruler, most people think he had some hesitations or reasons why would he meet with Jesus at night. Didn't want to be seen. Jesus was very controversial. But he, he, he comes with some respectful words to Jesus. You know, you're, you're doing these signs. Uh, God must be with you in some kind of a way. Now what John is doing is picking up from the last verses of chapter 2 that mention Jesus performing many of these signs and as a result many people coming to believe in him because of those signs. But Jesus didn't necessarily jump on their wagon because he knew some things about them. But here is this Nicodemus and in this conversation Jesus uses an interesting phrase that's now become very famous because he says to Nicodemus something about having to be born again. And it's that little passage in verse chapter 3, verse 5, that causes folks often to refer to ardent Christians as born-again Christians. And it has to do with the nature of their spiritual change or transformation. That's one interesting aspect of this conversation. The other comes a little bit later when towards the end of this conversation, Jesus summarizes it all to Nicodemus with this simple statement about how to get right with God. And we'll talk about this at the end of our little talk this morning. But it's called the golden text of the Bible. Like, it doesn't get any better than this. And often you'll see people carrying signs at big events or whatever with just this reference in the Bible to John 3:16. All this is part of this story. Now... Back to the question, who cares about this? Well, first, people who are followers of Jesus care. And followers of Jesus, when they ask the question, what would Jesus actually do? What they're really saying to themselves is, what should I do? What should you do if you're a follower of Jesus? If you're going to follow his example. And I noticed several things that we can learn from the example of Jesus in this passage and the first one is, lead with your deeds. That's exactly what Jesus did. Now, again, if you go back to chapter 2, as I said, uh, in verse 23, it says, When he was in Jerusalem in the Passover feast, you've got the verse there, many believed in his name when, when they saw the signs that he was doing. So something about the actions of Jesus is what was calling attention to Jesus and causing people to begin to, to, to follow him. So it wasn't so much what Jesus said, it was what Jesus was doing that was making the difference. And then later, it tells us there in verse 2 of chapter 3, what Nicodemus said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher came from, who came from God, for no, no one can do, do these signs that you do unless God is with him. 
So this idea of leading with your deeds, whether or not they are supernatural or not, I suppose in some ways everything that a believer does is supernatural because the supernatural God is working through them. But they wouldn't necessarily be miraculous. But your deeds still matter. It's interesting that, remember those two fellows after Jesus rose from the dead, but they weren't quite sure what was going on. But they ran into Jesus, not even knowing it was Jesus. And they're having this conversation with Jesus. And, and they're saying to Jesus, don't you know about this, this prophet and what's been going on? And, and Jesus is kind of baiting them and getting them to talk about it. And they said, no, he, he was mighty in word and deed. Well, that's exactly what it was. The deeds were giving the power to his words. Leading with your deeds is so important. Peter, the follower of Jesus, picked up on this and he said, you know, when, when our conduct is the way it's supposed to be, people see the way we actually live, that's going to cause some conversation to happen and they're going to start asking questions. They're going to ask you for a reason for the hope that is within you. But it starts with, with your actions. They're being demonstrated. You know, we took a lot of our stuff from Rhode Island down to North Carolina, and uh, including clothes, obviously. And I'm, I've got this old T-shirt from the old Cranston Christian Fellowship days. And we had made up this T-shirt that kind of summarized what we were wanting to be about as a church, which every church is about, and you're still about. It's about loving God, having that vertical relationship with him, following Jesus, that is, as a disciple, learning what it looks like to imitate Jesus, love God, follow Jesus, and then serve others. And from time to time, I've, I've worn this t-shirt, different places where I've gone around town, and I have some other garments with some Christian things about it, but it's interesting, Margaret noticed this, the reactions of people. Numerous people will go by and say, hey, I love that t-shirt, or yeah, that's the way it is, man. They would somehow react to that simple statement that's about following Jesus. And if you're going to do that, it has to involve others as well. That you're doing things that make a difference. Really the most dramatic example of this I've ever experienced, and some of you have heard me tell this story before, but it has to do with our congregation right here. Several years ago, we were burdened about, you know, what are we doing to demonstrate the gospel in our community? And we connected up with one of our local schools here in Cranston and decided maybe we could do some things physically just to help out at that school. A hundred of you volunteered on a rainy Saturday morning to gather around that elementary school and do some fixing up with shrubs and mulch and all that sort of thing. And I remember with two other guys from the church were huddled around this tree, digging things up and putting a little planting bed in. We're down on our hands and our knees. And this woman came along that I didn't know, and she's kneeling there with us, and she's digging away. And as we got talking, I said, hey, uh, what's your name? She told me. I said, what do you do? She said, I'm a school teacher. She said, in fact, that's my classroom right there. Oh, okay. I said, well, we're having a great time. We're glad we're able to do this. But what was so amazing was that she stopped, put down a little shovel, and she says, why are you doing this? And to me, that is the most profound question that I had never had anybody ask me, but I realized that's what people should be asking us. Why are you doing this? And I've wondered, you know, how many of us could say that we've lived our lives before unbelievers or people who don't know God or have a relationship with him, how many of us are living our lives in su such a specific way that would cause them to say, why are you doing this? 
that deed would provide the opportunity for sharing some of the good news of what God is doing. So that's the thing. Lead with your deeds if you want to really follow Jesus. The second one is to know people's hearts. You know, it's easy to get a... Remember the old gospel film, Rick? Uh, the gospel blimp. <laughs> it's about this the gospel film about this town that decided they need to get people to know more about Jesus. And the best they could come up with was to rent a blimp and go over the town and drop tracks on the town <laughs> about Jesus. And that's the way a lot of folks want to do it. Let me just kind of dump it out there. But the real sharing of the gospel comes when it's face-to-face with real people who need real Jesus, and they see you as a real follower of Jesus. And so Jesus didn't just have a one-size-fits-all approach to this thing. It's interesting that in verse 25 of chapter 2 at the end there, uh, it says that Jesus needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus had this tremendous discernment of people that was very specific. Like here, the example is Nicodemus. He knew what was in Nicodemus. He knew his spiritual need. Think about Zacchaeus, that wee little man that was curious, a tax collector, and ran up in the tree. And uh, in the midst of the crowd, Jesus looks up and said, Zacchaeus, he knew his name. (laughs) He says, come down. I have to stay at your house today. Jesus knew something about this man and about his needs. He runs into Nathaniel, and he says, Nathaniel, before you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus had been watching and observing. And I believe that his knowledge of people's hearts also stemmed from his praying. You know, the Bible says Jesus would go up on a mountain and spend all night in prayer. Well, what do you think he prayed about? I think some of the kinds of things he prayed about were specific people that he knew needed a relationship with God starting with maybe his mother and his brothers and sisters and, and then the, the people in the town that he knew and, and the, the other carpenter friends that his dad had and, 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 and now all these fishermen that he knew were on the sea, uh, side of the Sea of Galilee. And as he prayed for these people, God was stirring his heart and opening his eyes on a human level to who they really were, causing him to be able to see things. That's, that's how it's worked for me. The more I pray for people, the more I am likely to start really opening my eyes to what's going on with them. You know, I've told you before that uh, I used to do this thing and still do from a a website. It's called blesseveryhome.com. And what you do is if you log on to that and, and say, I'd like to start praying for my neighbors, they give you a map of your neighborhood with the names of the people whose houses are all around you. You didn't even know those people. You never met them, but they know who they are. And they start reminding you every day to pray for them. Well, I've been doing this for a number of years in, in my own neighborhood. And so, uh, let's see, January of 22, uh, we bought this house in North Carolina and didn't move for four months later. But I knew I had new neighbors coming. So I started praying for them. And I've been doing that now that we're there. I keep praying for them. But in in praying for them, my mind is stirred up so that when I'm walking the neighborhood, like I often do, they're not just like a face or a stranger. They're someone, I know I've been praying for that person. Now God's opened the door to meet that person, to get to know that person, to engage with that person, to ask questions about that person so that I can get to know them. So that as God opens a door for sharing something about Jesus with them, it's going to be something that relates to who they are and to their experience 
and not me just trying to put the square peg into the round hole. So Jesus knew people's hearts, and that's what we need to do. Get to know people. It's interesting that here Jesus is dealing with this Pharisee, Nicodemus, and he has this nighttime conversation. And I was interested in how it might contrast with other conversations Jesus had with Pharisees. So I looked this up in the whole New Testament, all these different times that Jesus was meeting up with Pharisees. They were quite different conversations than the way this one went. He says to the, this Pharisee over here, you viper. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and to others he said, you're a bunch of hypocrites. Very harsh words. Others, he, 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 he knew what was going on. Some of them started thinking about how they could get rid of Jesus. And since Jesus knew what they were thinking, what was going on in their hearts. And he said some very strong words to them. But here, with Nicodemus, he had a little different approach because he knew what was motivating Nicodemus to even want to find out about Jesus at night and have this deeper conversation with him. So we need to get to know people, and that takes time. You know, someone who learned this was Peter himself. You know, Peter, often with the other disciples, would go up to the, to the, to the temple with Jesus. He would teach there. Well, you have to climb the steps into the temple. Well, later, after Jesus has been resurrected and ascended and left them, and now they're going to start telling others about Jesus, Peter and John head to the temple. But as they're going in, they encounter this lame man who's been laid there. And it says in the book of Acts that he's been being laid there every day. Well, that tells you that Peter had walked past this man every day, every time he went up there with Jesus. But in Acts 3, it says Peter looked at him. It says he fixed his gaze on him. See, something about watching and learning from Jesus had caused caused Peter to start opening his eyes. Say, hey, there's somebody here that I need to get to know. There's somebody here that has a problem that maybe we can do something about. So that's what it is to get to know people. That's the second. The third thing is to learn to ask questions. Ask people questions. This is exactly what Jesus did. Notice in this conversation, verse 10, it says, Jesus answered him, Nicodemus, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you don't understand these things. Now that's actually one of two questions that Jesus asked him in the course of this conversation. What questions do is first help the asker of the question to learn some things about that person. You're not going to find out about them unless you ask. Don't go ready with a lecture to dump on them and tell them how far they are from God and what's going to happen when they die. You start asking questions. That's what Jesus did. The question not only helps you understand them, but the question helps them understand them. <laughs> Do you get my drift there? By asking people questions, you get them to think about something that maybe ha they haven't thought about that much. Maybe they haven't gone that deeply. Like maybe they made an offhand comment to you, like, I, I, I can't believe the Bible. There's too much bad stuff in the Bible. Well, what exactly is it in the Bible that bothers you? Ask a question. <laughs> now, that's a spiritual question. You might have wanted to ask a lot of other questions before you ever got there. Like, you know, are you married? Do you have kids? And just on the human level, getting to know them. But as you ask people questions, you're getting them to think. 
there's several websites you can go to if you just put Christianity, uh, witness, and questions. You'll find all these websites that have amazing questions that you can ask people that will help them think through their spiritual doubts and questions, help them come to a a place of, of thinking more deeply about spiritual things, questions that have to do with eternity, life after death, questions about spiritual matters, about the Bible, about Jesus. But learn to ask those questions. Be ready with them. And then the fourth way that we can be an imitator of Jesus is to share appropriate truth. Now, what I mean by this is, you know, the Bible has millions of truths in it. There are lots of things we could share with a person. Where do we start? What we want to do is start with the things that are going to be most relevant to them, most related to what they're going through, what they're struggling with. Being able to take something of biblical truth that you've learned and, and help them discover that there's something here that could be good for them. That's why it's good even to share with your friends at work about church. You know, like, hey, uh, we had a great time at church yesterday. My pastor was talking about, fill in the blank, about marriage. Well, it was really interesting. I learned a lot of things that could have made my marriage a whole lot better years ago. Just leave that out hanging out there. <laughs> really? What? You know, tease them into wanting to share more. But it's an appropriate truth. You might say that because you know this guy's actually got some struggles going on. So you might think that in this encounter with Nicodemus, Jesus violated his own rule about sharing appropriate truth. Here's what I mean. If you look at verse 5, here's what Jesus says to Nicodemus. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What in the world is that about? Born of the water and the spirit. Now, earlier he talked about being born again, but now he's explaining it to Nicodemus. Born of the water and the spirit. There's so much confusion about that simple verse. Over the years, people have assumed this must have something to do with baptism. The water and and spirit as well. John was baptizing, but that's not Christian baptism. Well, but is this about Christian baptism, even though that hasn't started yet? All these doubts and questions about that. To me, it's really, really simple. Jesus takes something that he knew Nicodemus would know about. Now, what did Pharisees know about? Well, they knew about the Old Testament, about the Bible, that the things were there. They studied these things. Well, what would Nicodemus have known about the water and the spirit? I think that he, Jesus knew that what he would have in his mind is a couple of verses in the prophet Ezekiel. You can look it up in your own Bible, but it's in chapter 36, verse 25. And here's what it says. The prophet in the Old Testament says to the wayward people of God of Israel, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Water and the spirit. See what the prophet is doing And he actually goes and he says, I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So in a couple of different ways, the prophet says, you need a spiritual transformation. 
and then he uses a couple of analogies related to it, of water and stones, a stony heart or clean water. The relationship of the water and the spirit is simply to say, in both a, a physical and a spiritual way, you need to be a new person. You need to be spiritually transformed. I don't think Nicodemus still got it all that night. Jesus told him he didn't. <laughs> like, hey, you're, you're a leader and you don't get this? How are you going to understand if I get into the real stuff with you? But I think Jesus was helping him get on the road because he was sharing something that was appropriate to him. And so as you deal with people who are doubters, be thinking about what little you may already know about the Bible and what, what parts of that might be most helpful to them. Here's another example with Nicodemus. Uh, Jesus says to him in verse uh, 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Well, you, what's that all about? Well, Nicodemus knew that story completely. It's about when Mo his hero, Moses, raised up this brass servant, serpent as a means that God would use for people to come forward in their faith to ask God for deliverance from the afflictions that they were suffering. But he says, as, as the serpent was lifted up, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. You see how Jesus is taking a scripture with an idea that was familiar to Nicodemus and using it to point him towards the ultimate answer to his spiritual need. That's what we need to learn to do. Get to use your Bible. And the last one, I think, is, is really important to keep in mind, and that is to give people space to think. Don't expect that everybody's just going to make a decision just like that. It's interesting that this conversation, profound as it is with Nicodemus, just kind of trails off and nothing is said about how Nicodemus reacted to it. Did Jesus hit a home run? Did, 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 did this guy become a believer? What? We don't know. All we know is that a few chapters later, Nicodemus seems to be maybe like, hey, wait a minute, guys, this Jesus isn't so bad. We need to make sure we're doing this right. But he's still not being known as a committed person. It isn't until after Jesus is crucified that you see Nicodemus stepping up along with some other Pharisees to take care of the body of Jesus. Why would he do that? I mean, he, he kind of laid it out on the line there to do that. More and more, Jesus, uh, Nicodemus has these marks of someone following Jesus. And we need to give people space to do that, even within our gatherings. This needs to be a safe space for people to be able to say, you know, I have some real doubts about that. I don't understand that. How, how could that be? Where they could ask those questions and get answers to those questions. Give people time. I remember my dad, who did not believe in Jesus as his Savior, had all kinds of doubts. And as I was growing up, me and my siblings would pray for my dad. And then we became adults. And my dad still was not a follower of Jesus. And, uh, but we would, every once in a while, be able to share a little something. And finally, when my dad was 72, God opened his heart. He put his faith and his trust in Jesus. It takes time. Give people time to do that. So all of that is for the followers of Jesus wanting to be like. Let me just take a moment here at the end to get to the issue of the doubters. When a doubter encounters Jesus, and his question is not going to be, what should I do? His question is going to be, what would Jesus do with me? What would Jesus do with someone like me? What would Jesus do with you? And to me, from this story, I learned some things that you could count on. Number one, Jesus is going to welcome you. Jesus wants you to bring your questions to him. 
He didn't tell Nicodemus, go away, you're one of the ones that aren't believing the signs that I'm doing. No, he, he was there engaged with Nicodemus and having that conversation. Jesus welcomes you. This is a, this is a place for you, you to keep on coming back, even though you're still not sure about a lot of stuff. This is where you're going to find answers. Second, remember that Jesus will challenge you. He's not going to let you just coast along and say, well, I can't really believe, you know, there's all these hypocrites in the church. Okay, let's get right down to it. Tell me which hypocritical thing Jesus did that causes you not to want to follow him. Well, <laughs> you see, he's going, to, he's going to put it to you. Nicodemus was, was challenged. Jesus challenged him. He said to the man, are you the teacher of Israel? Look at that verse up there briefly, from verse 10. Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? So what, what he's doing is getting Nicodemus kind of backed into a corner a little bit. And Jesus is willing to do that. He's going to make you think about why it is that you really are not committing your life to following him. Third thing is Jesus will level with you. He's not going to sugarcoat it. He's going to tell you in the end you'll find out where you stand. And it'll be like what he said to Nicodemus in, in verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's not all going to make sense. You won't be able to see it until a transformation happens in your heart. You have to become a new person. Well, how do you get there? Well, it's because of the answers that Jesus will give. And in verse 16 is that golden text where Jesus sums it all up. Jesus will answer you. And how he does that is in that simple verse, John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For all the doubts and questions and skeptical things that don't seem to add up to you to keep this the simple thing in mind, it's about the love of God. God loves you. You're, you're troubled about how terrible the world has become? Well, Jesus loves a world like that. And Jesus loves the people in that world. But Jesus is the answer. Whoever believes in him will not perish. Friends, that's your answer. He's the one that you need to trust. Put aside your doubts. Put your trust in Jesus. Just a few seconds on our, our next steps here. You've got a place where they're written as well, but here's what you need to do. If you're a follower of Jesus, find the Nicodemus in your life. Who is that person that needs to hear from God through you? And how does that happen? Well, you pray for him or her. You get to know them, get involved in their life. You serve them, find ways to, to love them in the name of Jesus. Ask them questions. Get them thinking about spiritual things. And in the end, share with them what he's done for you. And then for those of you who have your doubts, would you just bring the, your questions to Jesus? Say, Lord, I, I'm not sure I can even believe in you. I, I, it all doesn't make sense to me yet. But if you're real, would you please give me this answer? And if you give me this answer, I'm willing to commit my life to you. If there isn't that prior commitment that when God answers, you're going to act on it, you may not ever get that answer. But uh, you tell him you want to give him your life when that answer comes. And then you start sharing your questions. Find people who can help you get to the place where you can really trust in Jesus. Hey, can I just pray for you? Why don't you bow your head where you're sitting and 
and just give our lives to God. Lord, thank you for the many ardent followers of Jesus there are in this room, and they want to be like you and serve you. And so we pray that you'll help them have the kind of conversations that Jesus had with this seeking man that night. And uh, give them a heart of prayer, and through prayer open their eyes to the world around them and the people that uh, you've sent them to. And Lord, we pray for that dear person who's struggling and their doubts and their uncertainties. Help them bring them all to you and lay them at your feet. And uh, in your timing, bring them to faith.